You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. I want you for a moment to think all the way back. Think all the way back to like age 16. Now, for some of you, that's when you got your driver's license. But think back when you were 16 years old, what hopes and what dreams did you have at that age? What did you want to do? Where did you want to travel? What did you imagine that your upcoming senior year would actually look like? Maybe you're 16 or 17 and you're looking ahead at that senior year and you have impressions of what it's supposed to be like. For me, as I think back to my hopes and dreams, I knew, I think God needed extra time, but I knew at age 16 that God wanted me to be a pastor and I was on track for that. And so I knew as I looked forward what I wanted to do in terms of a job. And when I thought about where I wanted to travel, I thought like a Californian. I want to travel to the mountains or I want to travel to the beach. Those are my options. I really hadn't even considered traveling outside the United States when I was a teenager. I just hadn't thought about a global view of life. And what did I imagine my senior year would look like? I thought, well, I'll probably still be involved in some drama and I'll play soccer and I will go ahead and probably run for student government. And I thought it's supposed to be fun and a lot of friends and opportunities and I could only imagine what I thought it should look like. Well, imagine being a 16-year-old and all of a sudden enters Babylon, a foreign power comes and conquers the land of Israel. Prisoners are taken as exiles back to Babylonian lands, including teenagers. Teenagers. And and many of you can relate. For some of you, this pandemic conquered your big hopes and you might feel exiled in life and you might be a kid right now. You might be a preteen. You might be a teenager. You might be a teenager, a young adult, an adult, or a young at heart like a lot of people, right? Young at heart. And whatever age you are, you might feel like the pandemic came along out of some foreign area and has conquered your experience in life. Well, that's where Daniel's at, exiled to Babylon. This is his experience. And, but Daniel learns something very valuable. Daniel learns young what it takes many of us years to comprehend. So Daniel at age 16 becomes an exile from Judah all the way to Babylon. He begins to find ways to bring value to culture without compromising his identity or God. But now where we are in the book of Daniel, not chapter one, but all the way in chapter six, Daniel is now closer to 86 years old than he is to 16. I mean, many of you have heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den and you've seen artwork, you've seen pictures, uh, you've seen children's Bibles that maybe have the story told in them and Daniel looks like a young man. His hair is not gray. He looks like he has muscles and he just looks very, very young. But Daniel in reality now is closer to 86 years old than he was to 16 when he was exiled. The beautiful thing about him all these years later, he's nearly 80 his life and his work are still excellent. See, he's, he's consistent in his life when a lot of people loosen their disciplines the older they get. His courage and his confidence continues to be placed in God. And that's a beautiful thing that he's still active, he's still contributing, he's still serving the kings. 
And he's finding out how to do that and bring value to a godless culture without compromising his identity or his God. And culture is always gonna push people to subscribe to doing what it wants to do and what everybody thinks they need to do together and to try to be one. Culture is always gonna push you towards subscriptionism. But here's why you need today's sermon. You and I need to predecide, and for some of us, redecide to remain trustworthy to the Lord. You need to predecide, and for some of us, you need to redecide to remain trustworthy to the Lord because you, uh, along the way, get caught up in culture and you might lessen your disciplines, you might lessen your trustworthiness with God, you might act as the culture more than you act as a Christian. But there's good news. God's power and God's values can circumvent humanity's rules. Humanity is always going to make rules. Culture is going to make rules to try to get people to subscribe to a like kind of behavior, a like kind of value. But sometimes those laws come in conflict with the laws of God. Those laws come in conflict with the behavior that God would endorse. And the good news is that God's power and God's values can circumvent humanity's rules. If you have your Bible, open with me to Daniel chapter six, beginning with verse one. It says it pleased Darius, he's the king of Babylon, to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. And at this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy And he defines that. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. That's a good definition, isn't it, of one who's trustworthy. Neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find a basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue a decree, an edict, and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, King Darius is not the first to get trapped by his own rules. He's not the first to be in a position of authority and have those below him try to suggest something to him that sounds good on the outside, but has alternate agendas underneath. Laws often have agendas that may not be immediately obvious. If you don't believe me, just try reading the descriptions of various laws that are given to you. You're trying to say, am I supposed to vote yes or no on this? What are they actually talking about? And then you get the other 
book that tells you all the stuff about the law and you find out that sometimes law's titles are misleading. It may not be obvious, right? One of the main legal objections right now from churches of being restricted from gathering in places like California, and maybe you don't have that where you're watching around the world, but a lot of churches in California, one of the main reasons that we legally object to being restricted from gathering is not actually the issue of gathering. It's that so many churches see this as encroaching into religious freedom, which means that the restriction to gather is likely a precursor to restricting the content of what is preached. And we're living in a world right now that is pushing back against censorship, that is pushing back in a lot of different areas. Such is the case of this law that these satraps and others are putting before the king. Its hidden agenda is the destruction of Daniel. But let me ask you, what would happen if you're freedoms were taken away and maybe you live in a part of the world where you don't have religious freedom so you know firsthand what you would do but here in America where religious freedoms are kind of expected to be part of the course for Americans I want to ask Christians what will you do when you're told you cannot pray what are you going to do when you cannot gather what are you going to do when they tell you you cannot speak in the name of Jesus We wouldn't be the first nation for that to happen. It happened in Israel from even the Jewish leaders telling the disciples they cannot preach in the name of Jesus. And Jesus was a Jewish person. Well, what do you and I do? We have to re-decide and pre-decide to remain trustworthy to God. So we continue to bring value to our culture by being consistent to your work and by being consistent to your following of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, you and I, we need to keep our work excellent. We need to be consistent at whatever point in our life we are when others loosen their disciplines. Listen to me, teenagers. If the rest of the teenage world is pushing back against all the online practices and teaching and they're falling behind, what you wanna do as a Christ follower is do everything you can to be disciplined, to do your homework, to stay motivated, I believe God's going to honor that even when it's difficult. So keep your life and work excellent. If you're in the marketplace and there are other people cutting corners and there's other people doing things that are, are really have no integrity in them, for you, you want to be consistent. When other people are loosening up their disciplines, you stay consistent. Keep your courage and your confidence placed in God. Your hope is not in the education system. Your hope is not in the marketplace. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. And in many ways, that even circumvents man-made rules. And it's amazing to see that God's power can circumvent many man-made rules. In Daniel chapter six, beginning with verse 10, it says this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. What did he do? Hey, a new law came out, a new edict that says you cannot. And what did he do? He did just as he had done before. He's still bringing value to the culture. And at the same time, he is not compromising his identity or his God. He prays as he had done 
before. Then these men went up as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. And then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. In other words, they're saying, we've got you and you, O king, can't change it. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Have you ever seen a lawmaker trapped by their own laws? I mean, let's be honest. It happens all the time to us as parents, right? Sometimes we make ridiculous rules that end up trapping us with our kids. Your kid is misbehaving. You say, go to your room. But in your kid's room are all the distractions that make going to your room a reward, not a punishment. It backfired on you. Or perhaps in your home, you have a rule that says no one's allowed to use swear words. And if you're a Christian household and you have that rule in there, I want to encourage you and say that's good that we learn to speak truth. We learn to speak love and we learn to speak in a way that's right. That's a good rule to have. However, some well-intentioned parents try to make all replacement swear words off limits too. Well, what's the real law? Is it no swearing or no near swearing? I mean, your kid is human. They express something. They don't use a swear word and then they get in trouble for it. And and the kid's gonna be sitting there thinking, well, wait, wait, let me get this straight. I'm getting punished for almost swearing? That makes no sense. And so there are times that you and I and trying to even raise our own children, trying to guide them in, in ways that are right, there are times that you and I can get trapped by our own rules. It's important for us to understand what are we really after? What is the actual outcome we want from our children? And lawmakers ought to think the same, but it's not unusual for a lawmaker to get trapped by their own rules, and that is exactly what's happened to King Darius. See, laws like to honor the King Darius as a leader seemed good. It seems good to honor a leader. And they made a law to honor a leader, except when the honor is elevated to worship. Listen to me carefully. When laws are made to elevate a human leader to the point of worship, we need to acknowledge that that law is outside of the will of God because worship belongs to God alone. When you do that, When you elevate a leader or someone into a position where you begin to worship them, you get trapped in a loyalty which cannot meet needs that only God is able to. Some of you are worshiping a celebrity or a human leader at the expense of your witness. That you love this person's 
artistic ability or you love their, their loyalty, uh, you love their ability and their leadership ability so much that you actually expect that your God needs are gonna get met by that person. Some of you are worshiping that human leader at the expense of your own witness. Some of you are worshiping a governmental party and placing your trust in it over God. Maybe it's an institution, like you put your trust in the stock market, or you're putting your trust in the healthcare system, or your credit score, or the educational system. And none of those things should replace God as the security in your life or as your source of worship. Listen to me carefully. Some of you actually got on your knees and worshiped harder when you learned that a vaccine came out than you worship in church. I mean, are we be thankful? Yes. Being thankful is appropriate. But putting your hope and your security and trust in a vaccine or in a healthcare system or the stock market or your ability to make money or in a celebrity or in some sort of leader is misplaced. God's got a word for that. And that's whenever we take our eyes off him as our source and we put it on something else, he calls it idolatry. And idolatry always starts when people elevate a leader, they elevate a behavior, they elevate a cure, or they elevate an institution above God. Idolatry is always misplaced worship. And let me tell you something. The culture is constantly going to ask you to subscribe to idolatry. The culture has no end of things that it wants to worship and wants everybody to worship it together. But let me clarify the definition of actually being in exile as a Christ follower. Exiles, if you're taking notes today, write this down. Exiles are godly people being a blessing to a godless world. Let me say that again. Godly people being a blessing to a godless world. This will be our theme as a church for 2021 that we're gonna talk time and again about what does it mean to be a Christian, that a Christian is not of this world, that we are exiles, that we are godly people, and our purpose is to be a blessing to a godless world. And so in every area and in every ministry, we are united to be godly people being a blessing to a godless world. And it's in how we neighbor, it's in how we speak, it's in how you post online, it's in every area that you and I be a blessing to a godless world. But please note, for some of you, this will be an incredibly difficult stretch goal for you. Some of you are so used to acting exactly like a godless and a reactive world that you don't really look or act very different than the world. If you're being honest, when you react the same as the world, I wanna suggest that you act the same as the world. Watch your reactions. What do your reactions tell you about you? When you react the same way the world does to issues, to conflict, to you know, false news or appropriate news, when you react the same way as the world, you're actually acting in many ways like a godless world. What do your reactions say about you? Because I think our reactions often show where we put our trust. Our reactions show what we fear 
the most. And our trust is to be in the Lord Jesus. So I want to ask you, are you living as godly people, learning to bring a blessing to a godless world? Or do you see yourself as a Christian POW out of touch with this culture that's just absolutely godless? You just don't even know what to do with it. And so you react all the time out of fear. You react all the time out of concern. Well, if you want joy in your life, the road to joy, even in hard circumstances and hard seasons in our culture, is living as one who brings value while not compromising your identity or your God. I mean, what a joy. I'm so proud of our church. What a joy to be the kingdom of God and to put him first. How pleasing is it in an age of divisiveness to be a blessing instead? Like, it'll bring joy to you. It is so pleasing that when everybody else reacts, when everybody else is divisive, when everybody else wants to argue and fight and get back at each other, that the Christian stands out and says, I, for a curse, will bring a blessing. How refreshing in a time of hesitation and a time of fear in our culture to be active in love, to risk, and to continue to pray by faith for the needs of our culture and the people around us. I mean, Daniel went up and prayed three times a day. He was praying to God, but let me ask you, what do you think Daniel was praying for? What was Daniel praying for? He was praying for the godless people. He's praying for his culture. He's praying for the ability to bring value, even though the culture around him was godless. He's praying to be a blessing every day as he served in the king's court. How awesome to be a church who blesses people through the love your neighbor campaign that our hosts described earlier that we're going to be able to give so many things to those without home, so many things to help people who are being rehabbed from trafficking, so many things to be able to help others in our city, in the local Elk Grove community. We've watched in the last week and a half, and it's just been a huge blessing to see the outpouring of love from our congregation to love our neighbors. It's good. However, as an exile, and as in Daniel's case, good is not always met with good by the culture. Look at Daniel 6, beginning with verse 17. He gets thrown in the lion's den, right? A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. 
And at the king's command, the men who falsely accused Daniel were brought in, thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now you can just picture that. That should have happened to Daniel. But God put the lions on a Daniel fast. And what happens when you get off a Daniel fast? Like the lions, you just go straight after the meat. That's what you do when you come off a Daniel fast. And so the lions attacked these people and killed them immediately. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples in every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Wow, one of the most famous actual historical events as recorded in the Bible, is amazing. But there's some things that you and I can learn from the life and the experience of Daniel. And one of the main ones is this, bring value by being trustworthy. Bring value by being trustworthy. See, for the span of four kings that Daniel served, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. I mean, Daniel served in the course of over 65 years before four different kings. And with each one, he was found to be trustworthy. With each one, he was found to give, uh, to receive additional authority. He brought value to each king over that span of time. He was trustworthy. He looked for ways to be a godly person, blessing a godless world. I want to walk you through something that I hope you find helpful, that I've been finding helpful in my life. And these are three commitments to being trustworthy by Andy Stanley. And the first one, if you're taking notes today, is this. I commit to do what I say I will do. And when I don't, I'll tell you. Isn't it much better that if you realize you commit to say what you're gonna do, but let's say it doesn't happen. It is so much better to hear it from the person who was supposed to do it than for someone in a position of authority to find out that it was never done, right? It's better for the kids to say, mom and dad, I said I would take out the trash and I didn't take it out and the trash trucks came today and our barrels are still overflowing. That's my bad. It's better if they tell you than if you just find the trash barrels overflowing. Right? So you want to be trustworthy. So whatever your situation, you want to commit to do what you say you'll do. And when you don't, that you tell whoever it is in who is your supervisor. Second, if you're taking notes, I commit to not overpromise and underdeliver. But if it looks like that's where things are headed, I'll tell you. Now, for me, as a persuasive promoter, as an Enneagram 3, we always want to show what's good. We always want to show what's going on that's great. And God is doing lots of good things and lots of great things. But one of the things that you learn in order to build trust is that you don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. And there are times in your life or my life that sometimes it looks like that's where things are headed. But when those things are headed that way, it's better that you tell 
your parent, you tell your supervisor that whomever you're trying to build trust with, that you tell them. So if you're a teenager and you said, hey, I promise that I will be home by 10 p.m., but you realize I'm not gonna be able to deliver, if it looks like you are potentially gonna be late before that time arrives, it's better for you to tell your parents before that time arrives than for them to discover it after that time is passed on the clock. Third, if you're taking notes today, if you confront me about the gaps I have created, I'll tell you the truth. What happens when people oftentimes confront us about the gaps we've created? We wanna make excuses. We wanna come up with something else and we wanna deflect the blame. But if you confront me about the gaps I've created, I'll tell you the truth. And there are times that I've watched people in the workplace who will say something like this, like, honest, this may cost me my job, but I'm not gonna lie to you. This may, this may cost me my role, but I'm gonna tell you the way it is. And they don't make excuses. And I'll tell you what, for their supervisors, or if you're a teenager, for your parents, that builds trust. Three ways that I think you'll find helpful to becoming more and more trustworthy, building trust, those are by Pastor Andy Stanley. If you're taking notes today, point four is this. Bring hope in Jesus in a compassionate way. I love what Daniel said. He, he said this, he said, he says back to the king about the lions, they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. He's talking about in God's sight. And then he says, nor have I ever done any wrong before you. He's replying, he's giving honor to God for his rescue. But at the same time, in a compassionate way to the distress of the king, he's saying, I haven't done anything wrong before you. I will continue not doing anything wrong before you. I am still trustworthy and my God has come along and validated me. Well, in a perfect world, you and I could say that every time, right? Nor have I ever done any wrong before you. But you and I live in a real world where we have done wrong things, where we have sinned, where we have fallen short, where even in the sight of God or the sight of people, we realize we have done wrong. Well, how do we get rid of the wrong we've done? I mean, we're corrupt. If we did it, we can't necessarily undo it. If you set it out of your mouth, you can't necessarily take it back in. But how do we get rid of the wrong that we have done? Well, the beautiful thing is that the God whom Daniel served and the God whom the king then said people must worship in his kingdom, that God loved you and me enough to become flesh in the person of Jesus, to live a perfect life, as God, as the God-man. And then he chose to let wicked and evil, godless culture people crucify him on a cross, naked, in a shameful death, being beaten and whipped and spat upon and punched. And a crown of thorns placed on his head, not the crown of the king of Babylon, but a crown intended to point to shame, and he took your sin and my sin upon the cross on himself. And he satisfied God's righteous anger against sin. 
and he canceled it out for those, for only those people who put their faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, that what Jesus did on the cross was done for your sin, for my sin. How do we get rid of the wrong we've done? We say, God, here's all my wrong. Here's the wrong I've done. And Jesus, my only hope, my only way of salvation is you. There's no shortcut. There's not an effort to just try to be good enough to get to heaven. The only path is through the blood of Jesus Christ. As awful as it was for lions to attack people, the Bible describes those who were attacking Jesus as lions, descriptively. And so Jesus took upon himself what we deserved. So the way that you and I receive salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, become a new creation, that the righteousness that was Jesus's is handed to us and given to us, and all of our wickedness then is placed upon him and satisfied and canceled. The only way that we do that is by surrendering our lives to him. And if that's you today, right where you're watching, then you pray something right like this. Just say, Jesus, today, I give you me as I am, a mess and all. I admit that I have sin that I can't get rid of. And so I offer that to you. I believe that you willingly took my sin upon yourself on the cross and that you canceled it out and that you're offering me righteousness, not because of any good I've done, but because of how good a God you are. And I receive that. And I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside, to forgive me of my sin, to wash away my shame, to wash me as white as snow, because today, Jesus, I give you me. And man, if you prayed that prayer today, you not only escape the lion's den. We have an enemy, the devil, who's prowling about like a roaring lion who wants to, in his own misery, take as many of us as he can with him. And you have escaped his claws and you have come to salvation in a God who loves you. And the angels rejoice and we rejoice with you. And we would love to hear from you if you've made that decision for the first time in the chat. God bless you this week as you live as godly people in a godless world, being a blessing in every way that God shows you this week. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.